Hello and welcome to Great Church Vienna. Continuing our series through the book of Acts, Hans-Georg Hoprich will preach about a touching farewell that we find in Acts 20. During today's sermon, before the scene of a final farewell, we will learn more about the characteristics of a healthy ministry, the admission of an uncertain future and the perils of a growing church. And applying the things from back then to now, we will see what we can learn from Paul's model. Somehow, uh, the last time for the next couple of uh, months, since, uh, as mentioned several times, we are living on God willing. Uh, in our age, you know, you need to say God willing. There are so many things that can happen, but uh, we are looking forward, uh, as uh, we intend to leave on the 15th of September, um, and uh, seeing our dear friends that we followed uh, via Zoom, and we want to look into their, into their uh, eyes uh, and see them alive. Uh, I mean, uh, that's the purpose of it. Uh, these are living people, and uh, not uh, kind of electronically linked, but living people, and I, we like that, being together with, uh, with people. Uh, and uh, I thought uh, it fits so well to uh, the text um, in Acts that we are following, in Acts 20. Um, and, um, and so Acts 20 talks um, about uh, Paul and his uh, stay in Ephesus and uh, his um, touching farewell. Now, as I prepared myself, uh, I was reminded, of course, to many, many farewells that we had to go through, endure. Uh, it wasn't uh, that easy. Sometimes it e it's really easy, but if you are related to people, I think it's never easy. It takes somehow your soul and molds you in a different direction and um, oftentimes uh, we were taken apart by tears and saying farewell to our friends in, in, in Papua New Guinea after uh, 10 years. It took us apart, I, you know, to say the least, um, because we were so closely related. And, um, I mean, other farewells, of course, I... I was reminded to my dad and mom when we had to say our final farewell um, to, to them as uh, they died. Um, and so it's always very touchy, I guess, as you may be reminded to your farewells. But there was one decisive historical farewell that took place in March 12, 1942, in, a, in an emotional, charged moment, President uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt ordered General Douglas MacArthur to leave the Philippines. And some of our Filipino friends may remember uh, this, uh, where he had been commanded to a futile defensive against an overwhelming and relentless Japanese military. 
Obeying that order meant leaving his friend, General Jonathan Wainwright, and imagine 36,000 men stranded on the Bataan Peninsula. Short on supplies, they were already on half rations. Um, a crushing defeat at the hands of the brutal enemy was inevitable. As a military officer trained to stick to his men, the thought of abandoning his post tore him inside. But he had his orders. He had to go. While boarding the boat to leave, he turned to view the once last short line cratered by months of shelling and the thought of the men of their fight uh, in the Japanese torture camps. Full of both grit and choked emotions, his farewell was brief and known to this very day. I shall return. Only three words. I shall return. Now, in today's passage of Acts, the same kind of overwhelming emotion lies Paul's words as he words as he says goodbye to some of his dear friends, the elders of the church in Ephesus. He knows he is leaving them vulnerable to the enemy's attacks of false teaching and spiritual oppression. But unlike General MacArthur, uh, he cannot promise to return and defend them, for he knows he will never see them again. So it must have been very emotional, I guess, and uh, we somehow can feel with the situation because we've gone through, and probably all of you have gone through these kind of um, emotional farewells. So, um, in his final farewell from Troas to Miletus, having just completed a one-week stay in Troas, Paul now journeys uh, to on, onwards to Miletus, a small port town where he will say goodbye to his friends in Ephesus. Traveling with him, a group of representatives from several churches in, in Europe and in Asia, whose mission is to help deliver the money they, their, their congregations have donated to the needy believers in Jerusalem. It's kind of funny, you know, this 
um, children churches, as I would call, they support the mother church in, in Jerusalem. It should, I mean, in our imagination, I think it should be the other way around. You know, the mother should nurture the church, but it's just the other way around. You know, the children nurture the mother. Isn't that an amazing picture? I like it. It's very meaningful to me. If that happens, it has deep roots in the Bible and it reflects our God who cares for us. Now, he is traveling with a group of representatives from the several churches. Um, and you can read about it um, in uh, Romans 15 uh, and uh, again in these verses that we read. And we read in Acts 20, 13 to 17. We read, We going ahead to the ship set sails for Assos, intending for there to take Paul on board. For thus he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us in Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we crossed over to Samos. And the day following, he came, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus in order that he may, might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. From Paul to the elders. What little time has Paul in Miletus? He wants to spend with the church elders who must travel about 35 miles south to meet him. What Paul will say to them whom he has nurtured in, in their spiritual infancy, he tries to bring across his heart, his heartfelt um, thoughts to these dear brothers and sisters. Surely, as he, as he looks out on the small group, he recalls the joyfully day when uh, each one of them embraced Jesus as their personal Savior. What an amazing moment. We never should forget that very day when Jesus entered in our heart. We are going to have a, a baptismal service next Sunday, the same time in, in Perk. Uh, that's not too far from, from Linz. And two elderly guys get baptized, not young folks. And they will give us their testimony how Jesus came into their heart. And we, I'm looking forward to this because it will be a very special moment. Uh, and we are always reminded when we get, when I got baptized, it was so special, so special. 
and, and, and re being reminded to the very day that Jesus entered our hearts and, and our life, it is the most amazing time that we can think of. You and me, Jesus enters in our hearts. Can you imagine that? That's beyond we can imagine. God alive comes into our lives in our bodies um, and, and in our hearts and, and changes, uh, the changes, they become amazing and beyond we could think of. Memories flood his Paul's thoughts as he formulates what will become his last and most vital words to them. Words as from a father to the sons he knows he will never see again. So we will look today, um, as we look into the life of um, uh, Ephesus and of course in the life of Paul in his ministry, uh, what is the, what are the characteristics of a healthy ministry. You know, it's so important to compare what we see, experience, and see what is healthy. Because oftentimes we, we forget about it. We just bump our head in, our th thoughts in, into unhealthy things. But here we have some healthy advice from this passage. Paul begins slowly taking the elders back to the days when he lived and worked among them. Uh, and Acts 20, 18 to 20 says, you yourself know. He reminds them, you know. It's there. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. I was with you. It means so much to be reminded to those that are with us. That are not giving their back to us when we fail, but they are with us. Fatherly and motherly caring for us. So Paul reminds them, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials with, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. From this uh, conversation, we can pick up some very specific and very important characteristics of Paul's work that will help us uh, emulate his healthy ministry. And I think we are doing good if we Keep that in our heart and mind. What is a healthy ministry? Paul endured these tests of the flesh. Uh, 
we can identify at least five. Sorry, I'm challenging you a little bit this morning. Well, it will be my last sermon this year. I, 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 I just want to confirm. Uh, so I, I try to challenge you a little bit. I hope I'm not overdoing it. But there are five tests Paul endured. And he endured the, the test of laziness. I will never forget in one of our Austrian church leaders, when he came along and he said, you know, how many hours a day do you work? So I told him the many hours we work. And uh, he said, so you are not uh, an eight to uh, four o'clock Christian, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the afternoon, you hang in and you turn off. And that's it. No, Paul had endured the tests of laziness, for he said from the very first day, I was with you the whole time. Now, it's not very easy, you know, to be with people. You know, we, are, we like to be with people, but all the time to be together with people, that can be quite challenging, at least with my gray hair and gray beard, it's sometimes challenging. From the moment Paul arrived in the city, he diligently worked among the people. So the test of laziness. Another test we can see here was the test of pride. For he, that's what Paul says, he was serving the Lord, how? With humility. And thereby safeguarding the effectiveness of the church as a whole. He endured the test of pride, serving the Lord in humility. And he also endured another test which is so natural. And I guess most of you have experienced this. This is a very um, great test in one way, but that's the test of discouragement. You've got to spell that through, don't you? The test of discouragement. But Paul, he didn't fail that test. No, for he ministered with tears and trials. Never giving in or giving up. The test of discouragement. And he endured yet another test, um, the test which is also kind of with, you know, as a, as a human, um, you've, it sometimes takes you apart, this test of fear. Have you ever experienced fear? Now, we are living in one of the most secure countries in the world. There are not many countries before Austria. So, we may not really experience that kind of test. But many other brothers and sisters that are going right now through that test of fear. 
Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Paul says, showing us that he was not intimidated by others. The test of fear. And lastly, he endured the test of fads. He employed only helpful techniques in his ministry, techniques that would edify and equip, not just impress. You know, as humans, especially we men, we just look at outward things that impress our thinking, our heart. Uh, but that's not what Paul did. He didn't want to impress people from his outward appearance because they were not impressed at all. I mean, that's what the Bible says. People, when they looked at Paul, they were kind of discouraged. You know, is that the guy? I can't imagine. He employed only helpful techniques in his ministry that would edify and equip, not just impress uh, or draw crowds. And then, secondly, Paul's ministry was based on solid Christian doctrine. Referring to his teaching ministry, he says that he declared what was profitable. He declared it. In Acts 20, um, in uh, our text, um, uh, in verse 21, it says, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance. Do you know how hard it is? People are not looking forward to that message, to repent, to turn back to the Lord Jesus. But Paul says, testifying both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether he was speaking to Jews or Greeks, he did not water down the truth, but consistently served the people the, um, the nourishment meat of God's word. It was meat. He didn't water it down. Try to dissolve. No. Sometimes it was rather hard to stomach. In recalling this very special feature of his ministry, he was telling the elders, don't feed the church pre-packed philosophy. Don't feed the church pre-packed philosophy. Stick to the basics of repentance, of turning towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry was based on solid, solid Christian doctrine. And thirdly, Paul's ministry was free of 
deception and personal politics. You know how easy that is? We see the great preachers and, and oftentimes we can see some kind of politics they push in to bring across their uh, thoughts, their political party or whatever. Paul never did that. Paul's ministry was free of deception and personal politics, concluding his recollections of his stay in Ephesus, he says in, uh, in Acts 20, 26, 27, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole, not partial, but the whole purpose of God, refraining from double talk and false information, he was innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, on the great judgment day, none of the lost from the, uh, this territory shall be able to point to Paul and say, that is the guilt. Even Personal politics did not enter into his teaching. He declared them the whole, the abundance of the purpose of God, not just parts that would win votes. You see how we, we can put in politics, you know, to win votes? We just make a, a kind of a, a promise and people just get attracted to that promise, and you get the vote. Do you know that? Well, we have um, sometimes a general election, and people get frustrated ever so often, you know, as there are false promises uh, that, you, that are never expected to become truth. He balanced his topics between the sweet and sour, teaching all of God's revelation, regardless of the people's like and dislikes. You know, I, some of you may know I'm also on Facebook. I have to keep calm now, push myself down, you know, and it's so great to get a like. Do you like that as well, you know? Or uh, I don't like to get a red face, you know, or even tears, but I... I must be honest, you know. I don't know whether I should be that honest, though. But I like a like. Don't you? Well, a shame on me, but, well, I need to confess that. Like and dislikes, you know. Thumb up, thumb down. Now, thumb down, I don't like at all because it confuses my mind. But a thumb up, I like. Notice also what Paul does not mentioned. You know, oftentimes, we need to realize what is not mentioned. Oftentimes, we hear to what is mentioned, but there's always an underlying principle um, not mentioned. He does not reminisce to on the signs of health that we normally look for, such as spiraling growth figures and impressing building programs. 
impressive building programs. Now you in, uh, in Lisbon, you have an impressive building. We've been in that building. That's impressive. You know, uh, well, ours here is not as uh, impressive. You probably can look into their homepage, uh, Lisbon Baptist, I think. Uh, very impressive. Uh, you're wondering, you know, it takes a, quite a bit of money, you know, to build that kind of impressive building, you know, congratulations to that, you know, it's great. And if people of Lisbon listen to us, well, we are in fellowship with uh, you folks and uh, we're happy with you and all the others that are uh, listening, maybe listening uh, in the weeks or years to come. Neither does Paul, you know, impressive building programs. Now, neither does he use this opportunity to get back at those who injured him. You know, that's, you know, it's sometimes it's like a nail in your, in your soul and, and, you know, somebody injured you. And sure enough, you know, now it's my time. I get back on you. Paul, did not do that. He does not use this opportunity. Instead, he reflects on the past. He emphasizes the positive qualities of the ministry so that the elders will continue his legacy into the future. A future that for Paul is kind of clouded, it's packed with uncertainty. And um, there was a, a really an uncertain future. In his portion of this talk, Paul ushers his friends into his hearts of hearts, revealing his the deepest thoughts and his solid faith. We read in Acts 20 in our text, in uh, verses 22 to 23, And now behold, bound in my spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Despite the dangerous waters ahead, he does not waver from his decision to travel to Jerusalem. We need to take that in account, don't we? Because when we would see that kind of danger, I'm honest, a car or um, a plane to go there where afflictions wait to me, do you? He will not wait for the forecast to improve. You know, when we uh, thought uh, of coming here, we looked at the weather forecast and it wasn't impressive. Um, now, Paul did not wait to this to improve, not at all. He launches off into God's will. For he knows that even when a believer follows God closely... Difficulties 
ไหนไหลไหลอเหตุ t how can he be so brave you know we it's so encouraging you know to learn a lesson that is taught through other people this is why a testimony is So encouraging, and the testimony we listened to this morning, so encouraging. It's a personal testimony that somebody experienced, and you can't just chase it away. How can he be so brave? Only by focusing on Christ rather than on himself, he pacify the waves of uncertainty in his. Saul saying um, in in Acts 20, and we saw that several times on the screen. But now Acts 20, 24 to 25. But I do not consider my life on any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel. Of the grace of God, and now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. And I can easily imagine him pro- probably, you know, tears came down on his cheek. I will not see you again. That's not easy. One purpose. Paul propelled in his life to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. It's God's grace. It's something we cannot earn. No matter how much money we have, the sort of possessions we own, it's God's. Grace, it's presented to you, and you have got to take it. Nothing else matters. Not his reputation, not his comfort, or even his own safety. He had to. He had died to self so that he could live for Christ, even if it meant Jerusalem and chains. Now, there are certain perils of a growing church that we would like to look at in finishing. Realizing that difficulties lurk just around the corner for the Ephesian Christians as well, Paul warns them of the dangers ahead. You know, he was talking. To his children, spiritual children, so he did the best he could do. Even, I mean, that was hard to stomach. If you come up with a reality, it's hard to stomach. It's not easy to take and pick up and say yes, no. But Paul, he talks about, he warns them of the peril of personal blind spots. He implies this at the beginning of verse 28. He says, "Be on guard of for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to 
shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So he made it very precious, bought by the blood of Christ. Do you think this is an art advice for a healthy church? On the contrary, good health today cannot be taken for granted as good health tomorrow. If the elders neglect their spirit leadership role, the flock may stray from the Lord. Without warning, they may slip into um, uh, a rigid legalism. We've experienced that many a times, and this is why, by the way, the oldest um, letter in the New Testament is the letter of Paul to the Galatians, and he's talking about legalism. Can you see? It's so easy to drive in and come up with laws you, people have to fulfill. So... There are blind spots. Secondly, the peril of external attack. Paul says in Acts 20, 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Sadly, the Ephesian church did stray from the Lord. That's what we know in history. In John's revelation, Christ indicated the people saying in Revelation 2, 4, it says, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Can you see the peril of external attack? As shepherds, the elders must be on the lookout for false teachers. We just heard of uh, Jehovah Witnesses that uh, creep in for uh, and cult leaders who love to invade um, uh, growing churches. And there is another peril, the peril of internal corruption. Internal corruption. Acts 20, 30 says, and from among your own. Can you imagine? That's very hurtful because it comes from your own people that are going against you. And that hurts most. And from among your own, own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. They must not become satisfied with their current success because they can still become weak and disintegrate from the inside out. And then, fourthly and last, the peril of... Eh, that's not an easy, you know. I'm, that's quite a, a thing. The peril of financial greed. Now, we in, at Grace Church, we don't know anything about it, do we? Financial greed. Acts, again, we again go back to the Bible because that's our textbook. We need to really ponder on the Word of God because um, this is God's Word. It's not a human 
simply word, but it's His word that gives us orientation. And it's spoken to us by love and compassion. God speaks to us and He says in Acts 20, 36 to 38, He knelt down and prayed with them and they began to weep aloud. That's what uh, happens in this final farewell and in uh, Acts, the, just the previous verses, um, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. I have coveted not no one's silver or gold or clothes. You, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you by working hard, in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Even as he speaks, Paul is traveling with several men for safety as well as um, accountability. I think that's uh, the, the word that is so important, accountability. And he wants these Ephesian elders to emulate that kind of financial um, responsibility. Essentially, though, none of Paul's warning would take effect apart from God's grace in their lives. So Paul commits them to the Lord. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the final farewell. And again, Acts 20, uh, in these last verses, verse 20, uh, 37 and 38, it's knelt down, and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving, under the word, over the word which he had spoken, and that they should see his face no more, and they were accompanying him to the ship. What a moving moment. You know, it moves me because I've experienced this not too often, but when it happens, or when it happened, it's deep in my heart. I remember well. Moving moments of saying goodbye. A few years ago, he had come to them as a stranger. Now he leaves them as an eternal friend. He would never see them again, that is true, but he would write them a letter, the epistle of 
to the Ephesians, one that we will still read to the very day, to today, one penned by a missionary in chains to his beloved children. Now, I want to bring us down now. You know, we, we've seen the up and downs of saying goodbye. Um, and I think it's important to come to August 2022, back to today. What does it mean for us, for you and me? And, you know, that's what I did whenever I, we were with you. It was a practical application. It's nothing to do with theoretical, kind of climbing theoretical mountains of theology. You can't expect it from me anyway because I have no theological studies. You know, I don't have a PhD or a MA or a BA, whatever you want to call it, nothing of such. So I can't get you up the mountain of theology, but let's come down. We call it with our missionary folks all over the globe, it's very important to have a debriefing, to get back into nitty-gritty of daily life. So what practical significance from then to now? From Paul's example, we must keep in mind two principles. Reflecting on the past calls for honesty and objectivity so that we can learn from it. And secondly, enjoying success includes constant awareness of perils. Because spiritual health today is not guarantee of spiritual health tomorrow. We need to consciously and consistently sustain the character traits that foster holiness. Although a farewell is often teary, it can be a milestone moment. A time when we can learn from the past and forever change our future. Now, according to Webster's Dictionary, one of the meaning of the word abandon is to give oneself over unrestrainedly. To give oneself over unrestrainedly. Now, parachutes abandon themselves when they stop out Step out of a plane. Bungee. I don't know. Did somebody, somebody do bungee st uh, jumping? Some of you? I never did it, but uh, I've heard, well, seen and heard many a times. Bungee jump, jumping abandons themselves when they leap from a bridge. But these people demonstrate a special kind of abandon. Reckless abandon. Reckless abandon. Do you think that Paul was reckless when he abandoned himself to God and sailed into a life-threatening future at Jerusalem? Actually, I think in his mind he was not reckless at all, for his respective of God eliminated the risk. Let me tell you, God, after all, is more 
reliable than any parachute. He is even stronger than any bungee cord. Let us check Paul's view of God. He writes in Ephesians, you know, that's a letter to the same people in Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now into him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul's attitude towards life and death was based on his knowledge of God. And certainly Paul's strong commitment to God did not develop overnight. And that gives me peace into my mind. You know, things can still develop. What a hope that is. It was a, a process of abandoning himself to God in little things day by day in what Small ways, God is asking you now to step out in faith, abandoning yourself to Him. Are you ready for that? Based on Paul's model of healthy ministry, let me ask you some simple question to finish. How would you rate your level of effort in your ministry, in this church, in your life, ministering to others. In, I'll just ask the questions. And I mean, you can get the questions again, I think, in the homepage of Grace Church. Uh, all the points are there. So please check yourself. The Bible challenges us to check ourselves to the realities. Secondly, in what ways is pride affecting your attitude? When are you criticized? When you are criticized, what is your level of discouragement? How do you deal with intimidation? How do you view the latest ministry facts. These are heart-searching questions I want to leave with you because I can't check your heart. I can't check your life. But God can. He's able. So let's open up to His Spirit. To the word of God. To the example the Apostle Paul gives us here. In what ways can you begin to cultivate a healthier attitude and ministry soon? Not tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, yes, but soon. What a challenge. When do ch Leave that challenge with you. You have at least three months until we come back, hopefully, God willing, to think about, diligently about that challenge again and again. 
And you get more challenges. It's not just uh, from uh, us here, but many, many challenges will come. But I think it's important as we look at this um, farewell message, you know, to uh, look into our own lives and uh, let the challenge not bump our heart off and shut it down, but open, let it be open to that challenge of the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we indeed bow before you. We thank you that you left your Spirit with us. We are not alone, but you promised to be with us, to get us out from the miry clay and put us, our life, in abundance. We thank you that we can trust, even though there are lots of trials, trials that come across in our lives that are unexpected, trials that come even from brothers and sisters, trials that we cannot oversee. But, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a faithful God. Your love never fails. We thank you that we can entrust our frail lives into the hands of you, the Good Shepherd. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us and that you care for us for time and eternity. We praise you from the bottom of our hearts. We give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.